Welcome to the How Writers Write podcast, a show focused on inspiring and empowering you to become a better writer. Come along as we deconstruct the tips, routines, and motivations of your favorite authors. In the end, it's all about getting your story onto the page. Welcome to episode 41, How Miranda Popke Writes. Hello, and I hope you are having a wonderful week. This episode with Miranda Popke is a welcome change of pace. Miranda and I discuss a topic that is just so relevant in our crazy world, which is how is it writers decide when it is time to be producing work and when it is time to take a break? Miranda and I discuss her writing process, but what is really special about this episode is Miranda's openness and how she has come to the decision to take a pause in her writing. I'm happy to provide this perspective, a little different than what we're normally used to, and I'm sure there are so many of you that will find wisdom and guidance and clarity in her words. And so now, without any further ado, here is the interview with Miranda Popke. Welcome to the How Writers Write podcast. I am your host, Brian, and today I am joined by Miranda Popke. Miranda is the author of Topics of Conversation, which was released in January of 2020. Miranda earned her MFA from Washington University in St. Louis, and she lives in Massachusetts. Miranda, welcome. Hi, thank you so much for having me on. Yeah, so I... Um, I I'm so happy to talk to you. I, I read online, I'm going to check in with you on this. I read online that on top of being a writer, you are also a social worker. Is that correct? I am not technically a social worker. Um, I am a caseworker at, well, okay. It's actually a little bit complicated. <laughs> Let me start that okay. one over. Um, so I work in human services. That is my um, day job. It is uh adjacent to social work, but I don't have any um, credential from a, a, a social, from like a school of social work. Um, although that is something that I have in the past considered pursuing. But yes, I work at a nonprofit um, and um, my role has fluctuated over the two or so years that I've been there. But um, right now it continues to be pretty client facing. And when you say social worker, that's just, that's a term that people understand. So it's often a shortcut I use, but I, I do like to clarify that um, I'm not credentialed. I'm just um, uh, well-intentioned. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So I, um, I, I always love talking to writers who are balancing their life between working full-time and uh, I know you're married because we, we had planned to have this podcast interview earlier and it sounds like your husband had some sort of rafting incident. Um, and so uh, I have balancing their, their worlds, right? So keeping family and work and writing. And so I want to start digging into like, how does that balance look for you? Like, how is it that you're working full time and writing, producing books? Um, what's that makeup look like? So... To be honest, I wrote the book 
almost entirely during my MFA program. Hmm. So I turned in as my thesis at the end of the program, what ended up being in large form, the manuscript that went out to agents, or excuse me, the manuscript that my agent sent out to editors. So when I wrote the book, I was in fact not balancing work and family and writing. I was in a position to spend as much time writing as I wanted, um, which often meant that I would really procrastinate all day, not start <laughs> writing until quite late. And then, you know, around 10 or 11 at night, after I'd cooked all of the possible sauces and <laughs> kneaded all the possible bread doughs, it was like, all right, it's time. You have to write something. <laughs> um, so yes, it's been considerably harder uh, since I moved to Massachusetts and started working um, a day job in addition to writing. Um, my job only recently, very recently, became full-time. So I have more space at the margins, let's say, than someone who has um, a 40-hour-a-week job. Uh, I'll also say my husband and I do not have any children, so that just frees up a lot of time. Yeah. yeah. But I'll say honestly, recently, the truth is that I have not been doing a ton of writing, and that is in part because it feels really urgent to me to be doing the nonprofit work that I've fallen into, and it feels really urgent to me to be putting my energies there. Mm -hmm. And Sorry, go ahead. No, please finish. Yeah. Uh, it just, it, uh, in a moment of intense social upheaval and social change, it, um, I, I found that writing is, uh, something that is less accessible to me. Mm. It just feels less important right now. Yeah. yeah. You know, it's, it's interesting. I'm so happy this topic came up and I, you know, we've been in this pandemic. I don't even know, probably 10 to 15 years would be my guess. Yeah. Um, and, um, you know, pretty intense social upheaval, like you said, I mean, this, this is a, you know, this isn't a show on politics. It's just show on writing. I don't think it matters which side of the political coin you fall on. Um, it's very easy to look at our current time as being extraordinary, no matter what. It is really incredible, the world we're living in. One thing we haven't gotten into much, though, and I'm, I'm really grateful to touch on this topic because I have felt it. I actually just did a podcast on this. I think a lot of people are feeling this, which is there's not that much space to be creative right now. You know, like it, it, it's, I am someone who I've never struggled to write. I've never struggled to keep a routine. By, I am by nature someone who likes extreme routines. Like it's just like, like baked into who I am. Um, and yet it's been a huge struggle for me. And I, I've struggled to get my 
to not feel incredibly guilty at times about not writing. And I'm wondering if you've experienced the same thing or what kind of discussion you've had with yourself in this time to feel like you've given yourself the grace to have the space to not write and yet hopefully not also kind of feel the guilt that might come from not putting, you know, words on the page. I will say that I, it's, it's very easy for me to not write. That is the space that I live <laughs> yeah, in, yeah. is the space of not writing. But that guilt that you mentioned, absolutely, that is always, or it has always been a component of my relationship to writing and not writing. I feel guilty that I haven't made time for it. And eventually that guilt builds up to the point where I force myself to make this time, make the space, and then I write. I have not felt guilt during this period because as I say, writing does not feel important in the same way for me personally right now. Um, now, you said this was a show, you know, this is a show about writing, not a show about politics. My feeling is that politics, especially in this moment, but always inflects and infects every area of our lives. And I think that there is absolutely a way in which writing can be an act of resistance and an act of political expression as, as, as well as an act of creative expression. Um, but one of the reasons that I'm not feeling particularly motivated to write right now is that I'm, uh, how, how do you, I'm, you know, to break it down by identity, like, a straight, white, cis woman. And um, there are a lot of us and we've been talking for quite some time and writing for quite some time and getting a lot of airtime. And I feel okay right now about working on my projects when I can and thinking about writing always. It's sort of impossible for me not to be thinking about writing always, but I feel okay not producing because it seems to me like there's a space being opened up for different voices to come to the fore. And I don't need to be pushing myself out there right now. Hmm. This is such an interesting perspective. I, I, like I said, I'm so grateful to talk about this because we, we haven't touched on this on the podcast at all. Um, in this direct of a manner uh, about mm -hmm. the idea of intentionally taking a break or a step back um, from the writing life for some reason. And, you know, for your reason, it's, it's, you know, to make space. And, you know, for other people, the reason might be because they're, you know, burnt out or they don't have it in them, or they just, they just feel like they can't create. Um, and, and I, 
I, I, have a, I have a ton of different like thoughts swirling through my head, like lots of different ways we can go with this whole thing. One of the things that I, I always like to get very tactical when, on the interviews, because I feel like, you know, there's a certain level of, um, you know, we talk and talk in theories a lot in writing and then actually getting down to like precisely what are we talking about? What can people do is incredibly helpful for me. And then I know if it scratches my itch, you know, probably somebody listening will think, oh, this is great. And so I'm, I would love to kind of dive into like, what were the steps you take, took, or the, the values you wanted to honor that kind of helped you get to this spot? Cause you seem really at peace with this decision to just be, um, you know, pumping the brakes in your writing life. And so I'm curious of like, what were the, the ways in which you got to this place? I've never found a way to get there. If I'm not writing, I feel incredibly guilty. And I feel like I'm letting myself down. That's just Brian, right? That's, that's, nobody should say that's right or wrong for them. And so I'm curious, like, what, what was your process like to arrive at a place where you felt like you could peacefully exist? <laughs> um, it's, it's interesting because I think our perspectives on this are so diametrically opposed. Mm-hmm. Um, again, I do feel the guilt of not writing. But... Writing has always felt to me like a kind of indulgence. And I don't say that in a way to apply to anyone except for me and the particular relationship I have to writing, which is that if I'm writing, I'm taking time away from being useful. And there's a whole like demented Protestant work ethics (laughs) with some like Catholic guilt sprinkled in there um, that undergirds this, this feeling. But I'll just, you know, say as a baseline, I think it's just much easier for me to get to this place because my relationship to taking time to write has always been really fraught and I kept coming back to it because it is the way that I explain things to myself and come to understand them so if I'm in a space of many many months of really not writing at all I do feel confused, clogged, Mm -hmm. blocked in some way. Um, I once compared writing a novel to squeezing a blackhead. And I think (laughs) that as disgusting as that image is, it's very accurate to my process, (laughs) which is like you wait for all of the dirt to build up inside you. And then you press and press and press and it's painful and then out gushes you know initially a lot of garbage um and then hopefully you can take that and and make it into something comprehensible i mean that's where the analogy ends obviously there's nothing yeah right there's nothing good about a blackhead coming out yeah (laughs) (laughs) um so right that analogy only uh right but what has felt, you know, I used to, I used to say that I like, didn't, I didn't know what my gut was telling me or that I had a really hard time knowing what my gut was telling me. And 
I think that is still true to a certain extent. Um, but it, at a certain point I realized like, oh no, my gut is communicating with me all the time. I feel terrible all of the time. Mm. I thought that was just normal. No, it's like my body telling me this decision that you're making does not feel correct. This uh, situation that you're in does not feel correct. And I'd just been ignoring that because I thought that all bodies felt terrible all the time. Anyway, not writing for me right now has been prompted in part by this bodily sense of urgency that I feel. So in terms of like getting down to like practically, how did I get to a place where I was comfortable spending most of my time on my, you know, quote unquote day job and less of my time on writing? Honestly, like it, it comes down to it literally in my body felt mm. right. Yeah. Yeah, I I think as you're talking, I I I so firmly believe in believe in the seasons of life, and mm-hmm. and I believe that in some seasons we are, um, you know, heavily writing, creating. Some seasons we are like I've you know had two kids and lots of kind of heartbreak in between those two kids coming into the world, and move. I mean, it's just like so many different seasons, and so I I always. Um, you know, take comfort in the idea that seasons come, seasons go. And it, it sounds as if as, as you're talking, it just kind of brought that analogy into my brain of this idea that like, there's just a season that sometimes we go through where the season, the energy is, the, our life's energy is spent outside of putting words onto a page and recognizing that season, you know, and, and this isn't, I don't know, there's a really fine line here because I try and not, um, give any advice <laughs> on the podcast, give no advice. Uh, but a part of it is, you know, recognizing that maybe you're not in a season where it's time to write and, and maybe it's time to focus on other things. And like, that's just a part of your, your life and your season. I think that that is a great way to look at it. Um, and in fact, if you want to even go further with the seasons analogy, I think, um, the way writing the first book worked for me, it was years and years and years of avoidance and also of storing things up that I was confused by and interested in and was thinking about on a subconscious back burner level. And I think that in this moment when I am not writing, I am similarly, there's Mm. a project I have in in my mind, and I am similarly in a space of, again, to go back to the seasons analogy, like I'm the little squirrel gathering the nuts, and then I put all the nuts in the tree, and again, there the analogy ends up being, like, there the analogy (laughs) ends because... um, I am not going to eat these ideas, but eventually in a different season, I will come back to them. Right. I think. Hope. Yeah. Yeah. I love, I love this whole topic. I think it's really comforting to me and I, I'm sure it'll be very comforting to a lot of people who will listen to this and recognize that like, maybe they're not putting words on the page, but they are, you know, storing up their proverbial nuts <laughs> for the time when, when maybe the season comes back around to create and now they have a surplus or they have these ideas um, to explore with their writing. So 
This is great. I, to go back one season, so your debut novel came out in January. And, oh, yeah. Well, um, 15 years ago, as you yeah, said. Yeah, 10, 10 to 15 years ago. Yeah. Um, yeah, I'm not even sure I was alive in January. But if I were alive in January, uh, your debut novel came out. And um, I love interviewing debut novelists. And I always ask the same question because I think it's really uh, a powerful thing to share with the audience, many of whom are working towards their first novel, right? Working or the first project is not always novel, which is like, what was the one thing through that whole process of writing, publishing, publicity, yada, 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 that surprised you the most? Like the thing that you're like, I did not know that this would be the case in publishing your first novel. So it's, it's, I think that this answer is going to be different. Obviously the answer is going to be different for every debut novelist, but I worked in publishing in book publishing for four years ish. So I entered the experience with a lot of knowledge debut authors don't necessarily have. Mm -hmm. Um, I was, you know, communicating with my editor's assistant and I was thinking to myself like, Oh, I wonder, you know, I wonder at what point in the production process my book is. And if I really wanted to torture this, this gentleman who is being so helpful on the other end of this email account, I could, you know, ask him to tell me like, what's my transmittal date? And, you know, uh, has the jacket mechanical started circulating? Just really granular detail. What I learned that was most surprising to me was that despite all this knowledge, what ended up feeling most comfortable was releasing a lot of control. Mm. There were a few things I was really, really invested in. One was the title. We tried to come up with a different title um, there was some concern, and not unreasonable, there was some concern that the, the novel's title sounds a great deal like Conversations with Friends, the Sally Rooney novel, mm-hmm. and we're both youngish. You've been uh, compared to each other too, yeah. Um, yeah, we're both youngish white women. Um, she is younger and much more precocious than I am, <laughs> and much more popular. Um, I, I don't want to compare myself to her. Um, in a way where it seems like I think we're on the same level because I know that we're not. But um, there was that um, there was that conversation. But it's the only good title I've ever come up with, and I would not let go of it. And so we stuck with it. Um, and then there was some some back and forth about the cover, and the cover we ended up with is gorgeous. I love it. Yeah, it is a beautiful cover. Yeah, thanks. Uh, a photograph by Maria Zvarbova. Um, I may be mispronouncing her last name. In any case, um, there was, uh, you know, there was some back and forth about the cover. So those two things I was really, really attached to, but I took a look at like the back copy and I was, I was fine with it. You know, I didn't make changes. Um, I said yes to all of the opportunities that my publicist passed along. I had an amazing publicist, um, Emily Reardon at uh, Knopf. And 
you know, I by and large just tried to take the lead of the people who were doing their jobs. Yeah. Um, and I try I I decided I'm just, you know, I'm just gonna trust this. And I I think that that was the right decision. Um, yeah. both because I knew enough about the process that I could have gotten really, really deep in the weeds. And also because there is so much about the process you just don't get to control. You don't get to control who reviews your book. You don't get to control who reads your book. You don't get to control what any of those people think about your book. Right. Um, and I didn't, retrospectively, this is not something I was thinking about at the time, but in retrospect, it's like, yes, it was a good idea to not be maniacally focused on various details, except when it came to the actual text of the book, because it's, it's, it's all beyond, it's all essentially beyond your control anyway. That so. sounds like a really, that, that last point, we've talked about control a lot in um on the podcast and the things that you can and can't control in the writing life and how so much of of the really big sticking point is what other people think about your work right that's one thing you just can't you can't control that no matter what you do you can't control it um but but it sounds as if it sounds as if letting go of some of that control is a really conscious decision for you of saying like i can't like there's there's things that just aren't worth my energy and I'm going to either say they're just not in anyone's control or that I'm going to place them in the control of the people who this is what they do for a living. Yeah. I mean, I'm not sure how much of it, how much it was a conscious decision and how much it was part of the overwhelming anxiety of being a debut author and responding to that anxiety by playing dead. <laughs> um, and also, I want to say, like, I was very lucky. Not every author feels like the publishing house and their editor, my editor, Jordan Pavlin, was wonderful. Um, I, not every author feels like, oh, I'm being taken seriously. My book mm -hmm. is being um, shepherded by people who care about it. Um, and there are many, many good reasons not to release control and to say, hey, I don't think you're paying enough attention to me and this book, and I don't think you're understanding how to bring this book to its audience. Um, and I would never want to decide for another author whether or not that they, they should release that control um, or, in fact, like really advocate for themselves. And I think in many cases, like, it's really important for an author to be like, no, 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 take me seriously. Right. But I felt welcomed um and i felt reasonably secure in the knowledge that my book was respected and liked by the people who were working on it and i think we also all knew that it wasn't going to be for everyone and i didn't right. need to try and push any more than everyone at the house was was doing that pushing for me. Right, right. Just so 
people out there kind of get a sense and, and know this as as a novelist when you're going through traditional publishing obviously not self-publishing completely different beast going through traditional publishing how much and i'm putting like control in like quotation marks right how much control do you as the author have over the different components like of the you know the jacket art and the back blurb and you know all the other details is it you have input or do you have veto power like what does that look like generally I think it really depends on where you're publishing. Um, houses like Cannot For I Published um, and many others, the other one that comes to mind is um, FSG, just because that's where I published or I worked, um, are really author focused and do allow the author a lot of input. Um, other places, I think it, it can vary a little bit more but, and it might be more important in this, you know, if you, if you feel like you don't have as much input as you want to take a firmer stand. Right. Um, I don't know how helpful that answer is, but I, I do think it really, it really, really depends on who you're working with and where the, the book is being published. I think input certainly is expected and offered everywhere but varying levels of levels yeah yeah um, of of power for the author to say like yes or no right 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 okay well with that said i just glanced down at the time we are approaching the part of the podcast where i ask every single guest it used to be three and then it became four and now it's five questions i know I know every couple of months I add a new one that pops in my head. Um, and so I'm going to ask you those five questions. It's just going to be the whole podcast is going to be 75 questions. I know. Well, what's, what, what's, what's fun is I've started, what's fun is I've started to um, compile these together and get them transcribed and, and put them down in a written form. And so it's really fun to start seeing dozens um, I mean, this is my 40 something interview, right? With a guest. And so it's fun to start seeing, you know, how, how are all these super diverse and different, you know, self-published and, you know, you know, genre fiction, uh, literary fiction, memoirists, like kind of across the entire spectrum, like how do they answer these questions? I find that to be fascinating. I love this and it's my podcast. So I basically get to scratch my own itch all the time. Um, so anyway, so, so I ask you the same questions to every single guest and I'm going to ask the first one to you and it is this, what is, if you had to pick it, what is one word that best describes you? This is not a real word, but I think <laughs> it would be fairly accurate to say that I am extremely un- chill i have no chill you have no chill no i'm very you know it's funny we just talked about releasing control and it was like a really you know that it's it's funny that we talked so much about releasing control because in fact usually in my day-to-day life i would like to be in control of every single tiny aspect of Mm -hmm. everything and i care to the detriment of my brain 
I, I care to my own detriment about things that are really, really petty. <laughs> uh, so I think that that would be the one word. Unchill. Okay. Yeah. All right. Making up new words. I love it. All right. Question number two. If you had to pick a spirit book, so this is a book like if you died and were reincarnated as a book, it would be this book. Which book would it be? And it cannot be your book. That's my new kind of asterisk. Because some people said that. And I was like, no, nah, that's cheating. It's got to be a different book. No, I mean, it definitely wouldn't be. It definitely wouldn't be my book. Okay. Um, I think the, the book that is closest to my closest to my heart, even if it is not a perfect match for my personality, um, but the book that feels like it's, it, you know, I, when I read it, I was immediately like, oh, this is, this is speaking to me. I read it at a very impressionable age. I was 19. Um, is Renata Adler's Speedboat. Um, short novel, fragmentary, um, from the 1970s. And it's, you know, about lived experience in New York, written from a particular perspective. Um, the narrator is a, a journalist uh, who is, you know, not dissimilar from Renata Adler herself. It's, uh, you know, maybe earlier example of autofiction, but it's, um, it describes a kind of uncertainty and suspicion and doubt that feel very close to me. And I'm, I'm a person who's very um, concerned with and wary of certainty. Mm. So that's one of the things that really um, hits me about that book. Okay. I've never read it. You've, you, it, it, has, it has entered my enormous to-be-read list. Okay. Question number three. Is there a specific tool, can be anything at all, pencil, software, chair, that you absolutely must have to write? No. Um, as difficult as it is for me to write, I would never get anything on the page if I had to have like a totem with me. Yeah. Um, I will say that I found I work best in non-traditional conditions. So right now I'm sitting at a desk. I have a beautiful desk that my husband actually built for me. Mm. And it's, um, you'd think it would be a great place to get some writing done. I don't think I've written a word here. <laughs> it's much more likely that I'm like lying on the couch with my legs on the back of the couch and the computer propped up and sort of typing into the air. Yeah. So, so, but, but not when you say natural, you don't mean like coffee shop, restaurant. It's more just a non-traditional place, maybe within your house or, you know, something along those lines. I have written in coffee shops and restaurants, um, but I like to write at non-traditional times, let's say. And right. uh, also just like, I pace around when I write and, you know, the picture I presented of like sort of lying on my couch with my legs on the back, like I, my body gets sort of weird. I need to be able to move. So those are the kinds of things that, right. you know, you can put your legs on the bar at a restaurant, <laughs> but like they probably will not be thrilled yeah, with you. They, they're not, they're not going to be happy with that. 
Okay. Question number four. How do you deal with the constant ups and downs of the writing life? Oh, I well, in right now, I just like to press the little escape button and I'm just not doing <laughs> it right now. Yeah, right. Um, I think it is very important. And I got this from my friend who's an, um, also a writer, an author, uh, Zan Romanoff. She writes YA. Um, and I think she got this from another author um, who I know less well, but who I greatly admire, Rupi for. Um, you just, it's like, it's not that, it's not that no one is going to ever care about your work because in fact, like there are people who are going to find and really love your work. I think that's true for everyone who publishes. Like there's a person out there who's gonna read the book that you have written and think to themselves, this was, this was for me, like this bit in this space I didn't know was empty. Hopefully that's the hope. But I think if you, try to let go of the idea that there is any kind of praise or feedback or high that is ever going to be enough. Um, that is, that is going to help you deal with the, or I, I, I try to keep that in mind and that has helped me mm -hmm. deal with the ups and downs. You, you have to be sort of interested in the work itself as you're doing it. It has to be solving some kind of problem for you personally, because the external affirmation that you do or do not get is never going to be enough. Mm. And I say this like philosophically, whatever. Um, but have I at three in the morning gone on to Goodreads and Goodreads readers hate my book. <laughs> Lots of people very, very strongly dislike my book and they are talking about it on Goodreads and like, that's totally fine. It wasn't for them. Um, if, if they feel like they wasted their money, I do feel really, I'm sorry about that. Um, but like, have I gone onto Goodreads at three in the morning to read my negative reviews? Like, yeah, absolutely. Um, but also like, remember that it doesn't matter that no one in the grand scheme of things cares and that you have to care. Yeah, yeah, totally. Okay, last question. If you could give one piece of advice to new writers, what would that be? Take yourself seriously as a writer. I think if you are going to write, you have to, you have to figure out a way to respect yourself and respect the work that you're doing and think of yourself as a, I think that think of yourself as a writer. I think that that's easier for some people and more difficult for some people. It's something I struggle with still constantly. Um, but if you can find that moment or that project that when you're working on it, it's like, oh, like I, I feel proud of myself for doing this. That's like, that's like a feeling to hold on to. Wow. Yeah. I love that. What a wonderful way to wrap up this episode. Miranda, thank you so much for joining me and sharing so much and, and covering new ground. I really appreciate getting into new topics and new places. I think there's a lot of people who will listen to this and be like, ah, oh, somebody, somebody's in the same boat as I am. And you know, that's, that's one of the goals of this entire podcast. Um, well, 
yeah, I, I, I certainly hope so. Um, it is always reassuring to know that you're not alone out there. So yeah. um, thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you again to Miranda for her time. If you haven't yet, please take a moment and head on over to iTunes. Give us a rating and review. Also, check me out on social media. Would love to connect with you. Lastly, thank you so much for listening, and I hope you have a wonderful week of writing.